Awesome. Well, it is uh, it's a joy and a, a pleasure to be with you this morning. I I was reflecting back on this this past year, and I think the the thing that I've realized the most with such a, a wacky season of life that we are in is just the the gratefulness I come to church with each Sunday, just to be able to meet face to face with the church because. When it was all Zoom online, it was just really difficult to feel, to feel the community. You know, I mean, you, you talk to people face to face, and we're all on Zoom a ton, I'm sure, but um, you know the difference between interacting with somebody face to face and then um, having to, to do it online. So I'm grateful each Sunday to be here face to face, that we have this, this facility to, to meet um, at, and uh, just learning. I don't want to ever take that for granted again, so... Um, well, as Obed was saying, I am the worship pastor here and uh, been here for about three years. We're going to celebrate our three-year anniversary as a church in just a couple weeks, which is crazy if you stop and think about it. Um, God has been doing an amazing work here, and it's been a, a joy and a pleasure to be, uh, to be a part of it. My wife, Serena, is back there with our four kids, and we've just seen... Uh, God work in some amazing ways this um, this season. So grateful to to be here and to uh, to witness the work of God in this place. Um, yeah, so we're going to be studying through, um, continuing through the the book of Acts this morning, and um, just want to kind of back us up and give us some context for what we're going to be studying today. Um, last week, Obed taught us from uh, chapter fifteen, uh, fourteen, and fifteen and looking at this thing called the Jerusalem Council. And if you remember, if you were here last week, the Jerusalem Council was just basically to decide between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians um, if Gentile Christians needed to be circumcised, to be a part of the the Christian church. And um, obviously for the Jews, circumcision was like everything they they knew in relation to God, and their right standing with God, circumcision had been handed down as a a ritual um, over the centuries. But for Gentiles, you can imagine, this was a pretty foreign and overwhelming prospect for them. So I can can imagine uh, a lot of hesitation there. But the Jerusalem Council decided that Gentile Christians did not need to be circumcised. And... um, Paul and Barnabas, the two apostles, were sent out at the end of the Jerusalem Council to go and bring this good news to the, the churches throughout the, the region. Um, Obed reminded us last week that we are saved not by any ritual act or anything that we could do, but we are saved by what Christ alone has done for us. Our faith in Christ's blood shed for us is the power of our salvation. There's nothing we can do or say to earn this love. It's a free gift given to us undeservingly. What we do do is, um, in our obedience to Christ, is just um, flows out of our our love and gratitude for what he has already done for us. Um, We don't need to do anything to be saved, but have faith in Christ and what he has done. Obed pointed out the... um, that our salvation is not limited to a certain group of people, ethnicity or a race or a class, but it's open for all people. The gospel is for all people. The Jews didn't have a monopoly on God, 
and his plan for all eternity was to, to bring the Gentiles into his grace. Um, the Jerusalem Council was just the beginning of what we read in, in uh, Isaiah 49. And this is one of my favorite verses. We often hear it around, uh, around Christmas time. But it says, It's too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is exactly what we hear Jesus describe at the beginning of the book of Acts. He says that the gospel will go forth from Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So with that context and kind of on the heels of, of what had happened uh, at the Jerusalem Council, I want to read our passage for this, this Sunday. We're going to be in Acts 15, chapter, uh, chapter 15, verse 36 through the end of the chapter, and then into chapter 16, verse 10. So Acts 15, 36 through 16, verse 10. Let me read this. It says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. In chapter 16, Paul came to Derb and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he, had, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Um, as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And when they came to the border of Mysia, they, traveled, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the gift of your written word for us today to guide us as we navigate our life in this world. And God, we thank you for the ways that you have worked in the church throughout history, that we might see and learn from it and live our lives differently because of our understanding of who you are. God, your, your ways are beyond our ways and your understanding 
is beyond our understanding, but would you give us insight this morning into your plan for our lives that we may live as faithful disciples of you? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you this morning. Amen. So for the past month and a half, we as a church have been really focused, um, since the beginning of the year really, uh, focused on what it means for us to be on mission with Jesus. We've been talking about this um, uh, for several weeks now. And if you've been attending, you probably are familiar with um, a, couple, a couple weeks where we focused in on our mission, our mission statement as a church. Um, maybe you know it by heart. It says, King's Cross Church is a uh, church family on mission with Jesus. Um, for the past several years, since starting King's Cross, I've, I've been struck with this idea that we've, we've kind of talked about over and over, that we are all missionaries. You know, traditionally you think of a missionary as someone who, who takes the message of, of Christ to some far off uh, land where there is no, no other believers, but um, it struck me that we are all called to be missionaries in our context, um, whatever they may be. We're all called to reflect who Jesus is and proclaim the gospel. And running throughout this passage today is this undercurrent of mission, the mission of God, which is in Latin we call it missio dei. That's just a fancy way to say that Christians throughout the centuries have always been referring to this mission that God has called Christians to, um, to spread the gospel and to live out our faith in Jesus. Um, just a few weeks ago, we studied the Great Commission where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in my name, in the, Father, the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And just to remind us, we don't have any special power to do that on our own. It's the power of God at work in us, and God is the one doing the work, and we are just the instruments that he's doing that through. And if you've read the Bible much, you've probably noticed a trend that God always uses the underdog. God always chooses the humble. If, be, if he has a choice between using the, the super gifted, wealthy, powerful leader versus a humble, young, inexperienced, uneducated, and weak person, he's always going to choose the latter. God always uses people who are sinful, sinful and flawed to carry out his perfect plans. And in our passage, when we open up this passage, it talks, um, it shows us this in great detail. Paul and Barnabas have a conflict in their ministry, um, showing us that the kingdom of God and work in the kingdom on mission is not always easy. It's messy because we are sinful people. There are real conflicts that arise between believers and they're, they're difficult to work through. I don't know if you've experienced anything like this, but I know in my life over the years I've had uh, definitely had conflicts and they're painful, they're hard to work through. All these conflicts are at their core the result of our fallen sinful nature. In this passage between Paul and Barnabas, we don't get really any real result of who is right and who is wrong. It's just that their disagreement is pretty serious. The Greek word um, that in, the Greek word here that's used is implying a strong emotional reaction and involvement on both parties. And so Paul and Barnabas part ways. 
just a few verses earlier, Paul and Barnabas were working in Jerusalem, shoulder to shoulder, against the Jewish Christians to declare it necessary, it unnecessary for the Gentiles to be circumcised. Now, after all this work together, they are parting ways because of this dispute. It's sad that it, this is the way it happened, but what is super clear here is that this conflict doesn't derail the ministry that each of them have. What each had been called into still is being worked through. They're still brothers in Christ and their conflict doesn't sideline them, their, their ministry. Paul and Barnabas stay focused on the big picture of God's mission and the call in their lives. And we see God working even through this conflict that they have to bring about his purposes. God was able to use even their disagreement that the good news be spread even further. Another thing I'd like to point out here that you might not even notice um, is just that we see in this passage and throughout the book of Acts that the mission of God, the work that God has given his people to do, is never carried out alone. These men don't head out as lone soldiers on the mission field. This is a community calling that they are put together for. They have a support system, and God has, has called them into that. Paul goes with Silas, Barnabas with Mark, but neither go alone. And this is an re important reminder for us in this society where we are so individual-focused. We can feel pretty self-reliant at times, but we need to remember that our work as Christians on the mission, on mission with Jesus, is never designed to be done alone. We're called into ministry uh, with others to help and support us. This is another way that we see God choosing the humble, the lowly, for his purposes. We never see God choosing a single self-sufficient person apart from community to do his work. Along with God choosing flawed and sinful people, we also see God has a unique and costly calling for each of us. I think we see this pretty clearly in the passage um, that we studied, that we're studying today, in the life of Timothy. We read about Timothy in verse one and two. He says he was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. We can see how God has called Timothy into this ministry with Paul because of who Timothy is. Timothy is both Jewish and Greek, a Jew and a Gentile together. And what's amazing is that Paul has just been in Jerusalem hashing out what that, how that, mean, what that means for, Jewish, or for, for new believers. And here is Timothy. He's like both of those two things mixed into one person. God had prepared Timothy for this exact moment in history because of his very DNA, who he is. Who better to walk into a synagogue and tell, Christ, uh, tell Jews about Christ and who better to speak to Gentiles than a Greek Gentile? In many ways, Timothy is the embodiment of the new creation that Paul speaks of in Galatians 3, 26 through 29. It says, So in Christ you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. 
There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heir according to the promise. Timothy is a living and breathing example of Jew and Gentile being reconciled in Christ. God has chosen Timothy to encourage the churches throughout the region with not only proclaiming the gospel, but with his very life. His mixed heritage alone speaks of the work that God had done reconciling Jews and Gentiles. So think of your life. Think of who you are, your family background, your ethnicity, your experiences. God has created you in a totally unique way with unique callings and experiences and backgrounds for a specific purpose. Maybe you've seen this play out in your life, how the story of God in your life has allowed you to relate to someone else who has a similar story. God has created us uniquely for specific reasons. And along with these unique experiences, God has also called us to himself, and this call is oftentimes costly. And we see this also in Timothy's life. Circumcision for an adult before the advent of anesthesia. That is a painful process. I mean, I don't know from experience, but I can imagine. Um, that is... That is not a, uh, that is a cost that he paid, physically enduring pain for this, um, for this reason. I can, I can imagine Paul saying, hey, I want you to come on, on this ministry with me. Let's go, let's head out, let's, let's travel. And Timothy's like, awesome. Paul says, we're just going to circumcise you and then we'll be out. And like, what? <laughs> um, so there's a real physical cost for Timothy here. And sometimes we forget about the cost that we, we may face as disciples of Christ. Everywhere you find a faithful follower of Christ living on mission for Jesus, you will find many things that they had to endure and give up because of this calling. It's so much easier to just take the path of least resistance and to settle for mediocrity. To... to put down, uh, to give up the fight just a little bit and, and settle in. But God has a purpose in the pain and the cost of being his disciples. Um, so I, I want to back up just a little bit in this passage because reading this in the larger narrative seems like there's a bit of a, a question that comes up. Um, Paul has just been in Jerusalem deciding in the Jerusalem council that Gentiles don't need to be circumcised. But here he is with Timothy, a Greek and a half-Gentile, saying that Timothy needs to be circumcised. It looks like this is a big, fat contradiction. But if we look more closely, we can see that this is pretty consistent with what Paul has believed all along. So first, the argument that Paul was making in Jerusalem was that the the Gentiles... um, don't need to be circumcised because it's not something they need to do to be saved. The Jews were arguing that these Gentiles were still under the law and needed to follow the law law in order to be saved. But Paul states pretty clearly in chapter 15, verse 11, he says, 
we, the Jews, believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will, the Gentiles. So Paul is having Timothy circumcised, not because he believes Timothy needs to be circumcised to be saved, but because he has a mission that he is focused on. This mission involves entering Jewish homes and synagogues throughout the Mediterranean region to preach the, the gospel to the Jews. And having a Jewish mother, Timothy was considered Jewish according to the, the customs at the time. But he was not circumcised, because probably because his, his Greek father wouldn't allow it. So according to Jewish practice, Timothy wouldn't even have been allowed into a home, a Jewish home or a synagogue. It says in verse 3, Paul circumcised him because of the Jews in that area, for they all knew his father was a Greek. So Timothy would have been viewed by other Jews as an uncircumcised Jew and therefore unclean. His ministry to the Jews would have no footing to stand on. His voice would have not, have been, not been heard and the opportunity to share the gospel uh, would have been greatly diminished. So uh, theologian D.A. Carson explains it this way. He says, In the case of Timothy, no one is claiming that he must be circumcised to be saved. Rather, if he is circumcised at this stage, it will make mobility in Jewish homes and synagogues a little easier, thus facilitating evangelism. It's not that Timothy must not be circumcised, and it's not that he must be circumcised. Rather, this is the outworking of Paul's cultural flexibility for evangelistic purposes. It's exactly what Paul uh, explains in 1 Corinthians when he says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became a Jew, to win the Jews. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Paul and Timothy's overriding concern here is for Timothy's life to not be a stumbling block for others that the mission of God may go forth. So what good is it if Paul and Timothy, knowing that Timothy doesn't need to be circumcised to be saved, go on living in that freedom, but they don't have an opportunity because of that to share the gospel with the Jews? Paul and Timothy are willing to endure the cost in order to have an effective ministry. They have a humility in this. So as we read on, Paul and Timothy are driven by this mission that they have, and they have a plan for how to carry this out. But what's super interesting is how God has other plans for where they will go. There's a little bit of mystery as we, as we read this section. It says, uh, in verse uh, 6 through 8, it says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having, kept, having been, been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. There's no information here on how the Holy Spirit kept them from Asia and Bithynia, but nevertheless, they're redirected to new places. Paul wants to go west, 
And uh, scholars suspect that he wants to visit metrop- the, the metrop- metropolis of Ephesus. But God has his own agenda and wants to, say him, wants to send him way north and way west, eventually making his way to Athens. There's not a ton of detail here, but what we can take away from this is that, first, Paul was really in tune with the Spirit to know the Spirit's leading. And second, he was flexible enough to submit whatever plans that he had to, his own, to God's plans. Paul had learned humility and flexibility, which would allow for God's leading. Where Paul wanted to go would eventually be a place where he would minister. He has a long ministry later on in Ephesus, and the gospel would reach Bithynia too, but it just wasn't the right time at this moment. In order for Paul to get where God was wanting him, he would have to go to the, the, the far western coast of Asia in Troas. It would only make sense in Troas for Paul to be given the vision that we read of next. He receives a vision in the night, a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia to help us. And after Paul sees this vision, he got ready, he got ready at once to leave from Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. If he had not been on the Aegean coast at this point, the vision would not have made any sense. But God had plans for others to know the gospel. So much of the New Testament is written to believers in these churches where where God had sent Paul at this moment. God had a purpose, and he was working through Paul and his companions. And it was beyond what they had envisioned. Even though Paul had a plan for his ministry, and he had reasons to visit the places where he wanted to go, God had a plan in his timing of his own. The mission we receive from God needs to be accompanied with humility and an openness to submit to God's leading and timing. It's God's mission that he has called us into. We need to be in tune enough with the Spirit to be led by Him. And this goes back to our first point that God chooses the the humble and the meek for His servants. He wants us to be like clay that He can form into the vessels for His purposes. We are instruments for God's purpose. And we say, not our will, but yours be done. God gives us an example of how to do this in this text. But he also gives us the perfect example of this in Jesus. Over and over in the Gospels, we see Jesus submit to the Father's will and the Father's timing for his life. We see Jesus retreat from the crowds to know his Father's voice. And at the end of his time on earth, Jesus submits his very life to the Father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. This is the ultimate example of humility. Doing this was costly for Jesus. In fact, submission to the Father's will required everything of Jesus to pay the ultimate cost, his very life. So we can expect when we are on mission with Jesus, it may very well be costly for us too. Relationships, jobs, family, Money, influence, and power may all be a sacrifice for us when we're living on mission with Jesus. 
And I'm not saying that life on mission with Jesus will be drudgery giving up every good thing that comes our way because there is an amazing joy in life to be found in Christ. A joy and a contentment that this world does not know. But Jesus makes it very clear that we will face trials because of our commitment to him. I was thinking back on my own experience. In college, I came to know Jesus. Um, I grew up in the church, but I came to know Jesus um, for real when I was in college. Um, And I had a choice to make in college between uh, the life of living for myself and, and parties and lots of fun and Jesus, and I knew what I had to do, and I just didn't know if I could give up my party lifestyle. But I did choose Jesus by his grace, and everything changed. I gave up friend groups. I gave up a lifestyle. I gave up, even the the music I was listening to changed. What I thought would be a struggle to fulfill me was actually a step into a deeper contentment and an ultimate joy in Christ. The friends I thought previously were, were so uncool were now my best friends. People that I'd, I'd seen, I'd, I thought, oh, I'd, I could never be friends with that person, but they were amazing people. God had a plan to fulfill me um, in Christ that was beyond my understanding but it it took some sacrifice to give up certain things in order to gain it. Well, as we keep reading the New Testament, we see that Paul is later reconciled to Mark. Whatever Mark was lacking during their disagreement earlier seems to have been worked through. And we read in Paul's letter to Timothy that while while, uh, Paul is in prison, he asked for Mark to help him in his continued ministry. And later in Philemon, he calls Mark his own son. There's a restoration there that happens. So just to recap some of the main points of this passage. When we see God send his people on mission, they are never sent alone, but with others in community. And when we are with others in community, conflict will arise. The important thing is how we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus throughout these conflicts. We also see that being on mission with Jesus is costly and requires a sacrifice from us. As we follow the example of Christ in this, we'll surely be given the opportunity to say, not my will, but yours be done. Not my plan, but God's be done. And although this may be a costly sacrifice for us, we know the promises Jesus has made to us are true, that he is with us and promises to be with us through the end of the age. I want to pray as we we close, and uh, we're going to take some time to reflect on on some of these uh, things after I pray. But would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the example in this text of how you use your people on mission with you. We thank you that you use flawed and sinful people just like us to carry out your work in this world. And we thank you for Paul and Barnabas and the example that even through 
this conflict, your will and the, the call that you placed in the lives would still be done. For the example of Paul and Timothy's faithful obedience, even in the costly sacrifices they endured. And ultimately for Jesus, uh, for your example of this humble obedience to the Father, that for the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross for our salvation and reconciliation to you, Lord. We thank you. And Jesus, we want to give you our lives. And we want to say your will be done. Amen.